This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Welcome into your Thursday afternoon. West Durham will be here in 30 minutes, and we've got a diverse range of topics to hit on today. But we start with college hoops. So, Texas still has the Tar Heels number, it seems. And it always seems to come down to the very last second. But cheer up, Carolina fans, because we've got the biggest Longhorn fan out there saying this on this show a few weeks ago. I do say go Tar Heels. We have that. If we have nothing else, we got McConaughey to come on this show. He knew he was going to be edited. We didn't include the context where he's saying I could get in trouble if you cut this out. But after yesterday's game, I feel like a lot of people need to hear McConaughey saying this. I do say go Tar Heels. That's a silver lining that we have. And here's another. I'd argue that kind of loss is a pretty good thing to have. Sounds weird, but that kind of loss to that kind of team's not a bad thing for Carolina. In fact, I'd say it's completely necessary for where they want to go. Look at the first three games that they played. Heck, I'll say the first four, including yesterday. They were getting away with mistakes without consequences. It's why Roy was so ticked off after the Charleston game and after the Stanford game. He was talking about how pissed off he was as well at how Carolina was turning over the basketball over 20 times against Stanford. These are not mistakes you can get away with and expect to win against good teams. But Carolina was winning early on. They're a younger team. And any parent could tell you this. If you let your child get away with things, they're going to keep doing them. If they feel like there isn't going to be a punishment, no consequences to them making those mistakes, they're going to keep making those same mistakes. Carolina had 14 missed free throws yesterday. They had three turnovers in the final two and a half minutes. 14 on the game a day after having 20 plus. This is the type of game that will give Roy ammunition to stress what is and isn't acceptable. If you do this, you're going to lose to good teams. You have to clean up these areas because there's nothing that will stress that more than losing ball games. It's a pretty good lesson. A good opportunity for this very young team to learn. Six out of the ten players Roy has are freshmen. Roy's never had that many freshmen be a key part of his rotation. This loss, it should ramp up the urgency for the heels. That's been my biggest problem with North Carolina through a week. It's a very solvable problem, but a problem nonetheless. North Carolina has had no urgency going into these games. At any point, they're trailing against Charleston. In the second half of that game, they're down 13 to nothing to UNLV. Trailing at halftime to Stanford. Down 12 to Texas at the break. That is a lack of urgency from the jump. It's not really something you can coach. You just need to try and get them to change behavior so that their mentality changes. And a good way to change behavior is for them to face consequences. For them to realize that these mistakes can cost them ballgames. Roy even noted this after the game. 
This was Roy on the virtual press conference after the buzzer beating loss to Texas. First half, uh, I think their attention to detail and their sense of urgency was much better than ours. We turned the ball over way too many times. Yes, we have freshman guards, but at some point in your life, you got to stop turning the ball over. And so we need to do a better job of that. We dug ourselves a big hole, uh, not making free throws and turning the ball over in the first half. Uh-oh. Ed and Winston-Salem's lined up. Tar Heel fan. Last time he was with us, he dropped damn. He said damn. I think that's the first time he's called it and cursed. Ed was worried about this game yesterday. Ed, your worst nightmare was realized again. Texas winning at the buzzer. What'd you think? Yeah, yeah. Like like I mentioned uh, yesterday, I I thought they had a huge advantage uh, in the backcourt and the guards, and you know, and that came to fruition. They uh, they were the better team uh, last night. But like I say, uh, you hit the nail on the head, Josh. If 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 these young players are truly competitors, they're going to look back and say, how in the heck? If we turned the ball over 10 times in the first half, how can we only make five out of 13 free throws? I will give them credit. They did show heart, and they came down from 12 and had a chance to win it. But, you know, they just did not execute well there in the last couple minutes. But you hit the nail exactly on the head what I was going to say. If if they're really a true competitive uh, team, they've got to improve on these areas you just mentioned. Thank you so much for the call, Ed, and Thank appreciate you. you listening. 336-777-1600 on Twitter at Sports Hub Tryon, they need to grow up fast. This is why the loss might be necessary, because here's the next two games for the, uh, for the Tar Heels. You got number three Iowa next week, who has the preseason national player of the year in Luke Garza, tremendous player. Then it's ranked Ohio State. Then it's the ACC schedule starting. They're opening up with NC State. First time the Heels and State playing each other before the calendar flips since it was the old Big Four tournament way back when. So there's no more room for error. All these games, they're going to matter or be played against really good competition. North Carolina needs to learn a lot from this loss. Maybe it's a wake-up call for them moving forward. So Carolina fans, they're upset. Robert Walsh is also upset. He doesn't like the Pittsburgh Steelers. That game got really close at the end. 1914 was the final in it. Robert, he's turning up all the radios in our office, turning up the volume in our main studio when Adam started railing against the Pittsburgh Steelers and how mediocre they looked. You doing okay today, buddy? Yeah, I'm, I don't know where you get I'm upset at. I wasn't upset yesterday. I didn't expect a win. I Actually, I'm more optimistic about the season after last night's game. because You really hate the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. I mean, just like any Carolina fan hates Duke. I wish you guys could see the Cheshire Cat smile on Josh's face when he thinks he's triggering somebody. Oh, no, no. I'm not trying to trigger you because I actually got good news for you. If well, Pittsburgh is the best that the NFL has to offer. But they're not, like I've been saying this whole year. If they're the best challenge to Kansas City, well, then that's a really wide gap. I don't see anybody as a close second to Kansas City, even though by record, Pittsburgh might be better. Analytics hate Pittsburgh. Our eyeballs hate Pittsburgh. Terrible to watch. But with Kansas City, here's the thing that concerns me with them. You can agree with me that they're the front runner right now. Yeah, for sure. They're 10-1, but what's crazy about it, 
they've been their own worst enemy at times. So it's kind of fitting we're talking about Kansas City at about the same time we were talking about the Tar Heels because the only team from here on out that I think can give Kansas City problems is Kansas City. Things have been coming way too easy to them. This is something that concerns me in football more than anything else. In the NBA, if you have a great season and things come easy and you face a test in the playoffs, maybe lose game one of a series, it's just that. It's a series. It's a best of seven. Not football. If you coast through the regular season, well, that number one seed's just as good as your if you're 16 and 0 or 15 and 1 than it is if you were 12 and 4 and 13 and 3 and just so happen to have a better record than everybody else. They're 10 and 1 as I mentioned. They're lighting teams up. Yet look at the scores the last three uh, th- three weeks for Kansas City. 27-24 against Tampa. Everybody turned that game off, it seemed like, when it was 17-0 after the first quarter. Tyreek Hill has a million yards. Pat Mahomes is making it look easy. They're blowing out Tampa. Well, if Pat Mahomes doesn't make a third down throw with two and a half minutes left to go, the greatest quarterback of all time is getting the ball with the chance to win the game. Week before that, they needed a touchdown drive to beat Vegas on the road 35-31. Week before that, they're playing Carolina. We all watch this game. Kansas City could not put away the Panthers. Teddy on 4th and 13, flipping over a linebacker get, uh, to get the first. They had the ball at the end with the chance to hit a game-winning field goal, and we know Sly has the leg, but he's the Bryson DeChambeau of kickers. Yeah, He has the leg to hit it from 65, but he might not hit the green more times than not. Everything's come easy to them. Think about the 2015 Panthers. Panthers went 15-1. and Yet the first time they really was tested, they rolled through the playoffs, blowing out Arizona, blowing out Seattle. It was that Denver defense. And when Cam became uncomfortable for the first time that year in, on the biggest stage, things fell apart for him. He had the deer-in-the-headlights look. We saw it with New England when they went unbeaten and they're challenged in the fourth quarter against the Giants. They lost that game. I'm worried that could happen with the Chiefs because it's a totally different title path than where they were last year. Mahomes got hurt. They needed Miami to upset New England and Foxborough just to get a bye. Once in the playoffs, they were down in every single game. And not just down, down double digits against Houston, against Tennessee, against San Francisco. In the fourth quarter, they had to fight for everything. And there's something to be said for that. This team hasn't had to do it. So that's the biggest thing Andy Reid's going to have to deal with the next few years. You have to fight being content. You have to make sure your team's closing uh, closing games out. It's a problem that every other team would like to have, but it's the only thing I'm fearful of with Kansas City right now. I think they're the best team in the NFL. Don't really know who the second best is. If it's Pittsburgh, ugh. There might not be much drama at the end of the year. Good thing for Kansas City is they got a lot of practice last year in the playoffs, playing from behind and coming back. So, I mean, I I don't know who in the AFC is really going to challenge them. If they can get their run game down and a little more clock management where they're wasting time on these long drives, I think that can be the key to them shutting games down. But you could agree, totally different dynamic, right? There's a totally different dynamic to you 
always playing from behind, being able to gun it and being freewheeling versus the mentality it takes to win when you're ahead. For sure. Totally different. I just don't know if they have the guys in position to do that yet. You've got a Le'Veon Bell who is aging. You've got a rookie in E-layer, as everyone likes to say They need to figure that piece out. It's a good point you bring up with the running backs. That is the only concern I have with Kansas City right now. Coming up, staying with the NFL, the Carolina Panthers have one player who is incredibly deserving for league-wide recognition. I'll tell you who that is next on The Drive. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. These are quotes from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey to Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. We're committed to playing a 10-game schedule, which is certainly unique to some of the other decisions we've seen this week. Of course, referencing the ACC maneuvering its schedule with Notre Dame and Clemson, where if the Irish win this weekend, well, they're already in the ACC championship game, but if they win this weekend in prime position, even with one loss to make the college football playoff, if Clemson were to beat Virginia Tech in Blacksburg Saturday, they will meet Notre Dame in that conference championship game. So the SEC commission doesn't seem too happy. West Durham now with us. Perfectly fitting to have Wes with us today from the ACC <laughs> Network because we've got the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, today. So having a Durham and the vo- the current voice of the Heels makes a bunch of sense, I think. What was were you surprised to see Sankey's comments this morning? Because I'll be honest, the lack of self awareness is kind of startling here. Oh, Josh, I I think that look. <laughs> Some of this you you write off to, you know, in the pandemic, I think we've all said something we probably wish we could take back. Um, right. I used the analogy on the show this morning. If the Power Five conferences had houses in a cul-de-sac, Greg Sankey's upset at the way we mowed the yard. <laughs> um, doesn't mean he's going to leave the HOA. Doesn't mean he's going to sell his house. He just didn't like the fact we cut it vertical when he cut his horizontal. Okay. Um, you can't, you can't go down this road. Um, everybody right now in major college football is trying to figure out a way to get to the end of the runway so that we can get to the end of the season without it dragging on and on. Right. I mean, that, let's be honest. Um, I think you've got Syracuse and Boston college who, unless something happens in the next 48 hours, are going to play their 11 games as their 11 games were scheduled, and they ought to be put on a pedestal for that. Okay? No positive cases, over 8,000 tests right. conducted. In, Syracuse, in Boston College's case, it's, like, unbelievable considering they're in Massachusetts too, right? Um, so I, I think for Commissioner – and look, I have great respect for Commissioner Sankey, and Mark and I talked about it a lot this morning. I I just don't know that it's something that needed to be said. Uh, Look, you've got a great football league, Commissioner. Congratulations. You've got the number one team and you've got the number five and the number six team. Uh, But if this was said because the ACC is trying to get, you know, two of its teams in this deal, then, you know, congratulations. The ACC is on the verge of doing that. And nobody ever said anything about you when you had two teams in the playoff, right? Or 
people that work for your conference's network have come up with this abstract craziness of three of your teams in the final four. Um, you know, things like that. And and who knows where we're going to end up here. I just hope we have to have a college football playoff um, and it doesn't get wiped out. So, look, I, he said it. I get it. No big deal, in my opinion, if that's the way they feel about it. Um, I'm also remembering, too, Josh, that they walked off on some really big non-conference games. And that's the part. The ACC, the part, that's the the ACC the part didn't want to do that. The SEC felt like for their safety they needed to play their 10 league games. That's well, the part. Well, in some cases their, their, their games have been scrapped anyway. The self-awareness, that's the part that is kind of amazing to me where if you're talking about 10 games, we're going to stick to that. Well, most mm-hmm. of the ACC teams are playing 10 games because, of course, they have the 10 plus 1 model. If right. you wanted to ensure that they play, you know, the same amount and that you have this competition, you – well, they, it was on the table. The, the ACC is the one that put the right. big non-conference games out on the table for you to have to ensure those rivalries go on. It was Greg Sankey that didn't take on that, or at least the presidents, the ADs, and Sankey deciding not to. Yeah, I, I think, you know, look – they walked off on games like uh, Tennessee, Oklahoma, right? I mean, sure. not just the Georgia Tech, Georgia, Clemson, South Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, Florida, Florida State game. I mean, they walked off on Alabama, USC, which probably would have been better than Alabama playing LSU Saturday night in primetime. Harump pump. I mean, you know, <laughs> there are all sorts of little things here about this, but it's Come on now, it's a pandemic. We're just trying to get the thing finished. For him to come out and say that, it's just, it's just, you know. It might have come it. off a bit tone deaf. Like maybe Kirk Herbstreit, who recognized it immediately. When Herbie said what he said on the television broadcast, he knew that yeah. it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair without evidence to say this right. is why someone was doing what they're doing. Give but, people the benefit of the doubt, I think, might be the first reaction, maybe something we all learn from this year. Well, and I think, too, the other aspect about it from the Southeastern, look, you've got a really good football league, okay? You don't, you know, why do you concern yourself with what the ACC is doing? Because they might get two spots? Well, might be two pretty deserving spots, okay? You've had two in the past, Commissioner. It's okay. It's okay to share. You know, you don't have to be the giant, you know, King Kong on the football mountain every year. Uh, it's okay if another league has some really good teams too, isn't it? I mean, I think it is. <laughs> sure, it might cut into your happiness at the holidays, but I mean, the reality of it is is that, you know, the ACC has two of the five, four best football teams. And look, we've still got the Ohio State situation out there, and that's that's going to be a thing before we're done because right now they've only played four games. West Durham's with us here. Watch Packer and Durham in the mornings. Bless your heart. ACC Network. Uh, you can check that out. ACC Network, of course, in the mornings. Let's talk about basketball now. Okay. I, I'm i going to go ahead and preface this on the front end. It's one-week samples. One-week mm-hmm. samples, that's, that's always important to note here. But looking at North Carolina and Duke, when you're as young as those two teams are, you're bound to have speed bumps like the one Duke had against Michigan State and North Carolina yesterday against Texas, where a lot of the concerns, you could argue, were self-inflicted. I still expect both to be top five ACC teams, but I'm a little bit more concerned with Duke because of this. This might be the first time in four seasons they don't have a dominant post-threat. 
They don't have a dominant guy. I like Matt Hurt, but he's not, you know, Vernon Carey. He's not Zion. He's not Marvin Bagley. He's not Wendell Carter. So it's Jaleel been a while. Jaleel Okafor. It's been a while for Duke that they haven't had that guy. So when shots aren't falling, it's a lot harder for Duke to try and manufacture offense. What's your read on it early on? How concerned might you be about either Duke or North Carolina's early speed bumps? Incredibly small sample size, but we're not going to get the 10 to 12 non-conference games before league play starts, what we're accustomed to before we have to make these kind of rash Carolina's got Iowa, Ohio State, who are both ranked, and then it's the league opener against NC State. Right. And I think Duke plays next week in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, right? Yeah, that's they've right. Got, I mean, there are all sorts of little things here. And we, uh, Corey Alexander and I are doing Kent State, Virginia tomorrow night on the network. And we were talking today to, uh, to Tony Bennett, who said, you know, look, we don't have that long run-up to this. You know, we don't have those eight games. I mean, he goes to the bubble, plays a couple games, and then – comes back and beats St. Francis and now plays Kent State. No, oh, by the way, next week he plays Michigan State, okay? I mean, you know, and then all of a sudden there's Villanova a couple of weeks down the road, and then there's Wake Forest and da-da-da-da-da, and you're off and running. Um, and I think for Duke's situation, they got beat the other night by six points by a team with a lot more experience, a lot more toughness, a lot more uh, gumption, if you will, to win games like that. The other aspect of it, and I'm not trying to take away anything from the Duke team, but you're playing in an empty Cameron Indoor Stadium. The 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 zero atmosphere in that building at that particular point, because last time I checked, those banners aren't talking to you. You know, those banners aren't yelling. They're not doing the hand gestures. They're not creating the environment, which anybody will tell you is typically worth. And you've been there, Josh, four to six points at least. And when people right? talk about where it's worth, yes, it's probably worth four or five points, but it's not just because of how loud it is. It's mm-hmm. mostly affecting officiating when it comes to close calls. That's uh, what people that's don't think. One it's, way to put it, it's yeah. it's you know, I mean, it's human nature. Where sure. I think there are studies done on this: close calls, close close pitches for umpiring, et cetera, across the board, right. you're more likely to you know, give it to the home team just because you want to get into the parking lot later on <laughs> safely uh, yeah. when, when there are fans in the stand. Well, I think, I think the other thing, too, is Duke's still a, a team that's in transition. They're much like Virginia, in my opinion. I mean, Virginia lost to San Francisco part and parcel because the Dons could shoot over the top of the Cavaliers, Okay. Carolina lost yesterday in part and parcel because they couldn't shoot, right? Uh, they they could not knock a shot down. That in Texas is apparently their kryptonite. Um, you know, I, I look at all three of those teams as examples of saying, hey, look, we're still a week into this. We're getting a few things here and there, and, you know, there are going to be some kinks that have to be ironed out and, and sewn out at some point, even in conference play. Meanwhile, Pay attention to teams like Clemson. Pay attention to teams like NC State. Pay attention to teams that, that like, I'll tell you this, there's a team tonight playing who's one and two in Boston College who's got enough veteran presence and enough depth that that, that could be an interesting team. Virginia Tech, same type thing. I just think we're, we're working ourselves into this brand-new deck of cards here, and we really haven't, you know, we haven't played enough rounds or enough hands in the case of cards to really develop any kind of identity about any team, we've got such a small sample size that 
I'm not willing to just, you know, go pell-mell and panic yet about Duke or Carolina or any of these, uh, even Virginia, to be honest with you. And I think they're a little bit more of a renovation than people think too. So that's why I'm interested to see the Cavaliers tomorrow night for sure. Of course, it's the ACC Network and Packer and Durham that you can watch Wes on. But give me give me the rundown for crossover Wes, what <laughs> games we'll watch you on. It's North Carolina Western Carolina Saturday at noon on the network. Where right. else might we see you? Friday night, uh, Kent State at Virginia, and Falcons and Saints is Sunday, Ooh. and then um, so three in a row, which is fun. Uh, takes me back. It's been a couple of years since I've done three in a row. Um, Are you going to be on site at all three? Um, the Sunday game. Okay. There you go. <laughs> the Sunday game, I'll be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Because uh, I can only I'll, imagine the nightmare scenario is something technically doesn't go right, and you have. Holly Rowe last night having to that's, do play-by-play. Play. Hey, Josh, in all honesty, that's something we just have to kind of live with at this oh, point right course. now. Oh, of course. Of yeah, course. I, I just mean, think you about know, you guys a bit. Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, we're, we're working through 21st century technology on so many different things. And, you know, I, I was asked earlier today by somebody here in, in town when I was doing some things, does it concern you that it could be like this permanently? And I said – yeah, I mean, I, I love to be on site. I like to be in the environment. You feel the game, right? Um, but right now, given where we are in this country from a health standpoint, I don't. We don't need to be on. I, I don't need to be on site. It helped last Saturday at Syracuse to be on site because I'm not sure Roddy and I can cover the uh, third and fourth down at the end of the <laughs> NC State Syracuse game. In all honesty, we couldn't have done it the way we did it if we were looking at the at the monitors. But, you know, that's that's the decisions that, you know, we've got to be able to be flexible and, and work through it this year, and that's what we're trying to do in our best. Safety first on Twitter, at West Durham. Uh, give Vicky our best. Give, uh, <laughs> Thanks. Give, give, give the She's cat. tolerating. She's tolerating me, and Clifford just kind of walks around and <laughs> acts like a cat. Yeah, get Clifford on the broadcast some way, Clifford somehow. showed up on the show the other day, so that was good. He, he made a brief appearance on TV earlier this week which was followed by his picture when he jumped into the Christmas tree. So that was also <laughs> very intriguing. That's great stuff. Take the, care, oh, man. Yeah, it's good to hear from you, Wes. Thanks, you too. Be there well. You go. That is Thanks. Wes Durham from the ACC Network. Going to be on your TV screens. Kent State, Virginia on, on Friday, North Carolina Western on Saturday, and the Falcons playing whoever the Atlanta Falcons play as the voice of the Falcons. Wes joining us. Up next, how last night's blockbuster trade in the NBA – affects the Charlotte Hornets. This is a Thursday drive. Here's your mic check. Check, mic check. Test, check, check. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. The voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, will be here in 15 minutes. And just so we're all on the same page right now, we had... Number one on the five things at five brought to you by Beamer Tire and Auto. A story where a wallaroo, which if you don't know, is a combination of a kangaroo and a wallaby. It got loose in Illinois, leading to police chasing it for two hours. So we wound up in the obvious place of asking Robert, who watches more Nat Geo than anybody I know, asking him, also somebody who grew up on a farm as well and dealt with all types of animals in his life. What animal 
or animals would he hate having to try and wrangle most if they ran rampant downtown in Greensboro? We'll get to the basketball in a second and what's going on with this spat ACC, SEC stuff. But Robert, you've had time to think about it now. What animal would you hate trying to, to wrangle most? Well, in the break, you were like, you could split into two categories, like fast or powerful, and neither of those things really scare me or intimidate me with catching an animal. All right, so this is good. Maybe we can work it out. You know, we could talk about this organically. Criteria-wise, what would you hate most in trying to track something down if it's not necessarily power or speed? Well, what I would be most worried about would be bodily harm in instances where it would hurt me or harm me after I was done doing the catching. Because, like, you can – I mean, I've banded cows before. I've, I've caught goats. I've caught all kind of stuff. And, like, if it steps on you, if it kicks you, it might hurt. But, I mean, you're going to live. But I feel like in, in two scenarios, there's something that could get me, and I wouldn't be able to get it back well enough. And I the b- biggest one for me is a skunk. I would hate chasing a skunk. Oh. Because you could catch it. You could be the most precise trapper in the world, and it's going to spray you. You're going to stink. Your truck's going to stink. Your clothes are going to stink. But, I mean, it wouldn't be so much harm. On the harm side, I would be worried about something embarrassing me, like a bird. Like, say, an eagle or someone's parrot, where oh, I don't so have... both the, big and small birds. Well, yeah, I don't have a facility, or the facilities, to catch a bird like that. I don't have a net gun. I'm not Rob Deerdick. I don't have a, a fantasy factory to come up with all these random things to catch birds with. So, if somebody asked me to catch a bird, I'd probably just... Well, in this hypothetical, you do have those facilities. Okay, so I do have a net gun here? That's right. Well, I'm probably going to miss. I don't know if you ever tried to shoot a bird with anything before. I haven't. Have you? I sound like a serial killer every time we talk about animals, because it's always like, have you killed this animal? And I'm like, yeah, I have. I have shot a goose before. (laughs) I have shot a duck before, and I sound like a serial killer. And I promise I'm not. You look like a serial killer, too. Moving on, Jones Angel going to join us in 15 minutes. And there are these comments where the SEC's big mad, bro. Big mad. That's what the kids say, right? The SEC and its commissioner, Greg Sankey, has taken issue with the ACC's decision to not have Notre Dame play Wake Forest next weekend ahead of the ACC championship game, essentially clinching their ticket, not even essentially, literally clinching their ticket to the conference championship game as they're getting set to play Syracuse on Saturday. That should be a win. Only important for the college football playoff discussion. Clemson, meanwhile, clinches a berth as well. If they win Saturday in Blacksburg, they are 21 or 22-point favorites in that game. They're not going to play on the 12th. Not going to play against Florida State. So, the SEC is taking issue with this because... This is what the SEC does. It just means more to them, which means a lot of whining when things don't go your way. Greg Sankey told Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, quote, I was surprised to see the announcement. It begs one question. If their two most highly ranked teams were, for instance, ranked five and six in the college football playoff rankings, would this decision have been made? Going further. We committed to playing a 10-game schedule, which is certainly unique to see some other decisions this week. Hmm. 
where they indicated they were going to play in one direction and then changed it the last minute. We'll still move forward the opportunity with all 14 of our teams playing 10 games. Here's the interesting piece about that. The ACC has a 10 plus 1 model, which means when Notre Dame plays against Syracuse on Saturday, that will be their 10th game. When Clemson faces Virginia Tech, that will be their 10th game. So, to be clear, Greg Sankey's upset at the ACC because they're not playing more games than what the SEC's playing? Huh. That's interesting. I said since the start of the year, the SEC, not as great as they generally are. They'll be fine. I think the ACC's every bit as good, probably even better when you look at it at the very top, uh, now that Notre Dame is a part of the mix. And since that is the case, considering what, I'll use the word even though I hate this word, what the narrative has been the last few years surrounding the conference, I think John Swafford has earned the luxury to manipulate the schedule however he wants. The way he's handled the pandemic is in stark contrast to the SEC. I've never been a fan of the guy who's loudest. I always follow action, or I try to follow action more than I follow words. Sankey was always on the shows. Sankey was always the one talking to reporters. You know what John Swafford wasn't doing? Talking to reporters. Doing television hits. That's why they call him the Ninja Swaff. He operates behind the scenes. And he handled the pandemic better than any other Power 5 conference commissioner. Started earlier, not later. Added a bunch of buys to allow for more flexibility. They've played, as a result, a higher percentage of games than any other conference. He got Notre Dame to join. He rescued Notre Dame because if they didn't join the ACC this year, they might be able to put together a schedule. But if they did, they'd probably be in the same place BYU's at right now if they ran through it. Probably not that impressive when it comes to strength of schedule. You wouldn't have scheduled Clemson. You wouldn't have scheduled the better part of teams. You wouldn't have had that North Carolina game this past weekend. John Swafford even offered the SEC a way to play cross-league games in order to preserve the rivalries. The SEC balked. They were just going to go with the conference-only schedule. Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, and South Carolina politicians still upset about that, that these games haven't been played, these long-time rivalries. Can't blame the ACC. You blame the SEC. This is such a bad look. I don't want this. I'm not judging Greg Sankey's character. I'm judging these words. I'm not going to make this personal. I'm not going to have these words define him because it's a rough time for a lot of people. You say things you don't mean. In a relationship, you say things you don't mean. Uh... In 2020, I guarantee you, I've said things on this show that I regret saying. Social media, certainly I've said things that I regret saying. So, Greg Sankey, this was a mistake. Just like what Kirk Kerbstreet said the other night was a mistake and he shouldn't have done it. He probably should apologize for this. Taking the shot at the ACC during a pandemic, it is an absolutely horrific look. The fifth and sixth ranked teams are SEC teams, so I get why he's mad. But... John Swafford's responsibility is not to look out for the Power Five conferences as a whole. It's to look out for the ACC, and these moves were in the best interest for everybody. To make sure 
Clemson and Notre Dame had the same amount of ramp up and prep for the ACC championship game to hold the integrity of that game. That was paramount. We had a larger sample than I think most people expected we would get going into the football season. We should be grateful for that. Who's really hurt by this? Miami might be slightly upset, but there's still a window they could get into the championship game. Need some help by Clemson, but there's still a window it could happen. How about Wake Forest? You think they're upset they don't have to play Miami and play Notre Dame? Of course not. They prefer to play Louisville and Florida State. That's an easy one. The ACC, when they get playoff teams in, they make $6 million per. That's what John Swafford has to look out for as well. So the way he's handled the pandemic and his swan song, it's going to be a part of his legacy and it's going to be a positive one. He's earned the luxury to manipulate the schedule to the ACC's best interest. They're guaranteed to get one team in. Probably going to get two. That's the way I feel about it because I think Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame. If they, if they meet again. That's how I read it. And when that happens, that's $12 million for the ACC, plus an Orange Bowl appearance, and they have a massive payout. That's a big win. That's a big win in a time where the ACC really needs it. Let's get a halftime score real quick from Raleigh. 2-0 NC State, which was unable to play against William & Mary on Monday. They are up 43-19 on UMass Lowell at the half. Jericho Hellams with 13, Devin Daniels with 10. Greensboro's own Cam Hayes with his second consecutive double-figure game in his third college game. Looking really good. 10 points, 3 assists. Already has a couple of threes to boot. NC State shooting 7 of 15 now from 3. So they got really hot. They hit 7 of their first 10. Then they miss their next five. Yeah, coming back down to reality a little bit. Let's shift the conversation to the Tar Heels, though. To get an inside look at what's happening inside the Tar Heel basketball program, the voice of the Heels, Jones Angel, will join the show. Next. Back to the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. It's always a buzzer beater with Texas. Every single time it feels like. Jones Angel knows this. Voice of the Tar Heels kind enough to join us now in the triad on Sports Up Triad. And we have a week sample size now of the college basketball season. Four games with the Heels. And we've talked so much during the offseason about the freshmen. Dayron Sharp, uh, Caleb Love, R.J. Davis among them. Those were the guys I've noticed to have spectacular moments through the first week of action thus far. As somebody who was in Asheville and on the call for all these games, of course, Jones, who's who among the freshmen have left the strongest impression on you early on? Oh, gosh, uh, Josh, first of all, it's good to be with you. Of course. And, um, you know, all those guys, I think, have really had some nice moments, as you mentioned. And, you know, the other ones that uh, you didn't say, just because you were naming a few of them, Walker Kessler, Puff Johnson, uh, Kerwin Walton, you know, th- those three haven't played quite as much as the other three, uh, but all have been in the game and there was at one point in the second half against texas yesterday where it was like a six-point game or something tariels were down and they had five freshmen on the floor it was davis walton johnson sharp and kessler so you know all those guys are playing um they're getting some some on the job learning a little bit right now and especially with the way the schedule 
um, due to COVID has been laid out. You know, there aren't a whole lot of uh, games out there where the Tar Heels feel like they can confidently just go out there and play and have a really good chance to win. You know, they, they need to work to win these games because they're playing other good teams. And so all these freshmen are getting opportunities to play and to shine. And, you know, I think all of them, as I said, have had some good moments. They've all had some some freshman moments too. And, and I think that's just something that the Tar Heels – are going to have to continue to work through as this year goes along. You're going to have some spectacular moments like Dayron Sharp with the double-double in the first game or, you know, R.J. Davis slicing to the to the cup and getting a big layup or Caleb Love hitting a big jump shot. But you also might have some moments where you turn it over three possessions in a row or you miss four straight free throws or, or whatever it might be um, because these are younger guys. But um, I think in all a very encouraging start to this season for Carolina, disappointed they didn't win the tournament, of course, but an encouraging start with uh, those freshmen being a big part of it. Roy prepared us for this before the year. He said this this team is further behind schedule than a normal team would because not as much floor time because of COVID, uh, when it comes to practices, and of course, six of the ten major contributors right now are freshmen. That's more than Roy has had in his time in Chapel Hill. And then, of course, you know, no exhibitions, and you're playing difficult opponents the next few games before you get the conference play. It's number three, Iowa. It's Ohio State. And then you see examples actually in the game where you might be a little bit further behind than you wanted to be. Roy said... When he was asked about the final play, for example, R.J. Davis going one-on-one with Coleman, he didn't feel comfortable enough yet to do the double team. He felt it might be better in that spot to go double team, but he didn't he didn't feel comfortable enough with the young group to go in that spot. So looking at it, I think in a more broader lens, Jones, I thought this was a very necessary loss for the Tar Heels because, you know, the urgency wasn't great, and Royce talked about this, the 13 nothing deficit against UNLV last night. They were down a bunch going into halftime. They were getting away with some mistakes, fouls, turnovers, but finding a way to win. Do you think this loss could serve as a wake-up call and an opportunity for Roy to do more coaching, having more ammunition to teach his guys what isn't acceptable at this level? Sure. Well, I, you know, I'll pick out a couple of words you use. I don't think any loss is necessary. I, I don't think any coach would say that they need to lose. Um, but I do think that losses can sometimes shake the cage a little bit, for sure, and, and just wake you up a little bit. And so, um, and I think it's also important, Josh, to know. I mean, Carolina just played four games in seven days. And of course. So, um, you're going to get a lot of data if you're the Tar Heels. Um, after that stretch, and that's why I do think this was an important but also uh, a successful stretch for Carolina, even though it does have now a loss on its uh, on its uh, ledger, because you got to see how these guys would react. You got to see uh, different styles of play, how different teams would try to attack you, where your weaknesses you know show up on the court. It's just all the different stuff that comes from from playing games. And so now Carolina settles into this this time period where they don't have as many games coming up. They have the stiff test against Iowa next week. You know, had the game against Elon that that currently has been postponed. The, the Tar Heels are working hard to try and either find a different opponent or, or get things redone with the Phoenix to figure out a way to play that game or a similar type of game uh, next weekend or sometime near there. So, you know, you don't have as much action. You have a little more practice time, but you have all of this data to work off of. 
And I think, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm going to pick Caleb Love. I'm not picking on Caleb. I'm just going to pick him for the example I'm going to give. Um, I, I think it's one thing to say, hey, Caleb Love, to, to be successful at this level, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And, and I know this worked for you in high school, but it's probably not going to work consistently on the college level against good teams. And you can say that, and you can say that, and you can say that, and you can practice, and that's one thing. And it's not that Caleb Love's not listening. And, again, I'm just picking Caleb as an example here. Sure. But then when you can say, hey, Caleb, here on film is where you did this against Stanford and it didn't work out. Or here's what happened when this happened against Texas and that turned into a run out for them on the other end for an important two points. And so now you have that, that bank of experiences, and it's still not super big, of course, but you have that bank of experiences that I think you can coach off of and learn off of um, if you're Roy Williams, his staff, and, and his team. And so, um, again, I don't know if any coach would say a loss is necessary, but I think having these different types of experiences, both successful and not as successful, is beneficial because now you can learn from them as you move through the rest of the year. It's the voice of the Tar Heels, Jones Angel, with us here on Sports Hub Trying. How do you imagine the rotation looks when Anthony Harris is ready to return? That's a really good question, Josh, and it's and it's honestly one I hadn't given a ton of thought to just yet, but I think it is absolutely going to benefit Carolina um, just for a couple different reasons. Number one, it's just another quality basketball player, and and nobody can, no team can have too many good players. You you got to find time for all those good players, but um, nobody's going to complain about having too much talent. And so certainly Anthony Harris, even though, again, the sample size of what we know from Anthony from last year before his knee injury is pretty small, just five games, I do think you saw the type of player that he can be. He is a really good defender, high-energy guy, um, somebody the team really rallies around. He may not be your purest shooter, but he can also hit some big shots, not a not afraid to take big shots for you um, uh, in addition to that. And so I think that that will be beneficial just to have his presence. Um, And the the defensive aspect of it is something that I think will be interesting to see because I I thought Carolina was pretty good defensively here early in the season. Now, they, they weren't perfect all the time, and certainly, you know, Matt Coleman hit a big shot there at the end for Texas to win the game. But I thought Carolina, especially for early in the year with a young group, I I thought they did some really good things defensively. I thought Leaky Black was excellent defensively as an individual. The Heels have the ability to protect the rim better this year than they have over the last several seasons because of their size down low. Caleb Love had some moments where I thought he was a really ferocious defender and good defender on the perimeter. And now all of a sudden – you add Anthony Harrison to the mix, and you've got another really good defender. So, for example, let's go back to the play, last play of the game against Texas. I've had people say, hey, why wasn't Leaky Black on, on Matt Coleman? Well, Leaky Black was guarding Courtney Ramey, the other yeah. veteran guard for Texas who had been going crazy in the second half. And so, if let's say Anthony Harris is available in this, in this imaginary scenario – all of a sudden you got Anthony Harris on one of those guys and Leaky Black on the other, and I think you feel pretty good about not having to double-team or not having to do anything other than being those guys straight up. And so um, adding another high-quality defender I think will be a plus as well. How the minutes will shake out, who knows? That will all be determined, of course, uh, as Coach Williams watches through practice and those guys earn the time. But I certainly think Anthony Harris will – 
have an opportunity to be a, a big impact player on this team when he gets healthy, which hopefully is, is coming very soon. One thing I always liked about talking with you, Jones, even though you've only been the voice of the Heels for close to 10 years now, you have a real appreciation for the history of Carolina basketball and how much talent's gone through the program. I look at this front court, and it is a supremely talented front court with the two freshmen coming in, um, with Baycott, with Garrison Brooks, certainly. Um, when you think about the greatest Carolina front courts, where does your mind go first? <laughs> Man, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, first I'll start with this current group and say, you know, I think what makes this group so exciting is, is the depth, it is to have four guys who could all legitimately start, I think, at a lot of places. Um, I mean, these, these are four different vary, or varying levels of experience, of course, um, but four really high-level players um, that all have unique skill sets but are all also can do the kind of basic things that Carolina is going to want their big guys to do, and that's you know, rebound at a really high level, run the floor, uh, block shots, protect the rim, you know, get ha- have a, a go-to offensive move and then a counter off of that move so that you can feel comfortable scoring on the block, you know, those type of things. Um, now, if you're asking the best front court, I mean, ever, I, you, you could talk forever and, and debate this forever. I mean, there's certainly plenty of good ones. You look at the national championship teams, you know, when Carolina starting Tyler Hansbrough and um, Deion Thompson and bringing Ed Davis off the bench, that's not too bad. And in 2005, Carolina's got, you know, Sean May and Jawad Williams and Marvin Williams. You start going back in the, the annals, and we could talk huge names. You know, Sam Perkins and James Worthy started on a team together. That's not too bad. Um, you know, the Tar Heels have had a long history of excellent big men, and, and that you, you can go from the 60s to the 70s all the way through to present day. And I have always thought, uh, Josh, that Carolina is built on point guards and big guys. And, and that's not to say that wing players aren't important. And, and, of course, you want great shooters and guys who can slash to the hoop. Everybody wants those type of players. But I think Carolina's history has been built on on terrific point guards and, and terrific big guys. And, and I think this team this year has some of those pieces. It's, they're young pieces for sure, but they have some of those pieces. And, and that's why I think it's a really exciting team to watch um, I think it's going to be a fun team. I understand people are disappointed they lost yesterday, but if you can't see the fact that Carolina is dramatically different than it was a season ago and that it has some really exciting pieces that, that are going to grow and, and get better as this season goes along, then, then I can't help you with that. If somebody was just listening to the last 15 seconds of what you had to hear, uh, of what you just said, there might be confusion whether or not you were talking about Carolina basketball or Carolina football. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I've done, I talked to a lot of people and which is fun to do, but you know, the, the last time that Carolina played in each one of those sports, uh, they lost to, to Notre Dame in football. And also of course to Texas in basketball. And Josh, to your point, you know, I've said very similar things. Um, you know, it, I, it's been interesting to me how disappointed uh, Carolina fans have been after that Notre Dame game. And, yes, it's okay to be disappointed with that loss and that individual game. But if you somehow leave that game disappointed with Carolina's program or the direction the Tar Heels are going, I, I just completely disagree with you there. Because yeah, you might remember Notre Dame came to Chapel Hill in 2017, won that game 33-10. to That game was not as close as that score would represent, and there was no question that those two programs were 
going in different directions at that point in time. This game was 31-17, and I think you left that game, if you're a Tar Heel fan, going, you know what? Not that far away. There, there's not that much separation. Do the Heels need to get better along the lines of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively? Absolutely. Do, do they need to continue to mature and, and be able to handle those big moments? Absolutely. Do they need to be able to be more consistent on a week-in and week-out basis? Yes. But I, I think Carolina is much closer to uh, where they want to go um, than they have been in a long time. And, and I think that's exciting. And then you flip that around with, with basketball. I'll be quick here. It's very similar. You know, Carolina lost to a more experienced team who at this moment is a little bit better at some key spots. Do I think if Carolina and Texas played again in late February or early March, would I like the Tar Heels then? We'd have to wait and see, but I have a sneaky uh, suspicion that I would. Hmm. I- I've been trying to see whether or not I can – detect any wear on Jones Angel's voice. It is crossover season. I, I don't detect any of it after a long football game, four basketball games in a week. It's impressive, Jones. You're an impressive guy. I, I just have you fooled. That's all, Josh. That, that's all that is. No, it's, it's a busy time of year. Um, it, it's been uh, an exciting year so far. Obviously, you know, with all the challenges that everybody's facing, every game that you get to play is is fun, and, and you should be grateful for that. And, you know, looking forward to another busy stretch here over the next few days with some big-time tests. You know, that, that game at Iowa for basketball, the football game uh, down in Miami here next weekend. Um, so a lot, lot of exciting games and big games still coming up here over in the near future. Yeah, Luke Garza is going to be in action tonight, the preseason National Player of the Year from Iowa against uh, Western Illinois. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. And, of course, the ACC Big Ten Challenge next week. With the weird 4 o'clock tips the last few days, it was good to hear your voice on the drive home the last couple of days. I hope against 4 o'clock games so I can I can watch more and maybe even sync up the radio. Uh, Jones, it's good to have you on as always. I hope you had a nice holiday, and we'll catch up sometime soon. Thanks, Josh. I always appreciate it. Talk to you soon. You got it. That's Jones Angel, voice of the heels. On Twitter, at Jones Angel with two L's.